From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the glaucoma contact lens, part one. We can release the drug, latanoprost, for up to one month at levels thought to be therapeutic. First this. Imagine a library of 100,000 books in subjects that interest you and subjects that don't. The books of this library are arranged, bizarrely, by publisher and date of publication. How useful would such a library be to you? How soon would you give up on trying to find a book that really interested you? ASCRS's impressive online content has been a little like that library until now. The new ASCRS Center for Learning at ASCRS.org slash learn organizes the vast and growing ASCRS online content, podcasts, and CME offerings into a unified, searchable whole so that we can find the material we want in the format that best suits us. Go to ASCRS.org and click on Center for Learning or go directly to ASCRS.org slash learn. I think that the most exciting thing in glaucoma medical therapy right now is not a medication at all. It is the new medication delivery devices under development. Not only do these devices promise profoundly improved patient compliance, but early data also suggests that they may be superior to topical administration as drug delivery devices. Joe Cialino and Dan Kohane are developing just such a drug delivery device. It's a contact lens that slowly elutes glaucoma medication over a period of weeks. I'm delighted to welcome Drs. Cialino and Kahane as my guests today. Our discussion was lengthy and will be divided over two podcasts. Today, we hear part one of my conversation with Drs. Cialino and Kahane. Certainly, using contact lenses as a sustained drug delivery device is, is, is clever. Is the idea new? And if it's not new, what have the past hurdles been in developing contact lenses into drug delivery devices? The idea of using contact lenses as drug delivery systems is actually not new. Um, one can find instances of it in, for example, the um, patent literature going back for decades. Uh, that being said, uh, historically it has been quite difficult to achieve in reality. And one of the main problems has been that the drug tends to be released quickly, um, depending on the design that is used. The second problem tends to be that not much drug is released. And the final problem tends to be that the drug is um not released at a fairly constant rate over an extended period. And uh, so one of the things that we've achieved with our lens is uh, to achieve those three goals. You describe in, in the paper a latanoprost polymer film that is applied to the, the periphery of the lens, if I'm right. Can, can you talk me through the, the incorporation of lat- the latanoprost polymer film into the uh, lens, and then if it's possible for you to talk a a little bit more about what the latanoprost polymer is. One of the things that makes the lens work the way it does 
is that it there is a drug polymer film contained within the contact lens, um, and it is really the, the, that film is just drug dispersed throughout a polymer, and um, the po drug polymer film is arranged in a ring shape within the lens so that the ring fits around your pupil so the patient actually can look through it and uh, have uh, their vision not obstructed. So if I look at this contact lens from the outside or with, with a slit lamp, would, would I see the, this ring on the contact lens? Is it something that's, that's visible? Whether the uh, drug polymer film can be seen would depend on the nature of the drug and how much polymer has uh, is needed for the particular drug indication. Um, in most cases that uh, Joe and I have worked on, um, you can't really see it against the white of the eye. That's really interesting. So the, the, the this is a a polymer film that that's incorporated into the the substance of the lens, or is applied permanently to the back surface of of the lens. Just help, help me picture this a little bit. So so the the um, drug polymer film is completely encased within a contact lens. So all the surfaces of the lens that would contact the patient's body are of familiar accepted contact lens materials. And then the the drug leaches th through the material of the contact lens uh, into the, the the tear film of the of the the subject. The drug uh, leaches out from the drug polymer film uh, into the contact lens and then from the contact lens into the tear film. Now we're we're going to be talking about this most recent study, the, the, the 2016 study. But um, I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, to, to talk a little bit about your 2014 study uh, in which you demonstrated the ability of this combination, the, the, this lens device with the latanoprost polymer. Um, were, were you able to show that the medication was released over over a period of time as as opposed to just sort of dissolving and leaching all out in the in the first week and then that's that the 2014 paper showed that we can release the drug latanoprost for up to 1 month at levels thought to be therapeutic so what we looked at was how much drug was in the aqueous humor at different time points over the course of the month and this was in um in a, in a rabbit study and what we found is indeed that those drugs were what we would imagine what was needed based on the calculation of the area under the curve divided by 24. So the hourly rate that one would have um, the latanoprost in the eye as a result of one drop of latanoprost. So what we did is we initially did a study where we placed a drop of latanoprost and at different time points over the course of 24 hours, we removed aqueous humor. That gave us an, an, an estimate of the area under the curve, if you will, over the course of a day. And then you divide that by the number of hours in a day, which is 24, and that gave us a reasonable endpoint to strive for. It's a similar calculation that's used in uh, contraceptive, so comparing what one would need for a pill versus a patch, let's say, where you have continuous release in a patch and a pill's more or less pulsatile. And so the same approach is used there. That's the approach we used, 
And based on um, uh, the levels that we calculated, we found that we were able to sustain therapeutic levels inside the eye for a month. The problem here is no one knows exactly what levels are needed, even though it was roughly the same that you would get over the course of a day. Um, Latanoprost is kind of an um, unusual drug in that if you give too much of it, it becomes less effective. And it's not known whether you need to give it in a pulsatile manner or in a sustained manner for it to be effective. So we really couldn't answer the question of efficacy without changing our, uh, our, our animal model. The 2014 study was really, really neat. So then what was the purpose of this study, the 2016 uh, publication? Yeah, so in an effort to answer that question of whether or not the contact lens could be effective, meaning reduce interlocker pressure in the eye as a result of the release of latanoprost, we needed to move to an animal model that responded to latanoprost. So unfortunately, many animal models, including rabbits, many animals, including rabbits, do not respond to latanoprost the same way that humans do. Um, rabbits do not typically have a drop in their intraocular pressure as a result of being administered latanoprost. Um, they also don't have any side effects. They don't have uh, meiosis of the pupil. They don't get conjunctival hyperemia. Um, so because of this reason, it was a good model for studying um, the pharmacokinetics, meaning the drug going into the eye, but it wasn't a good model of, of uh, studying what the drug does to the eye. And so we moved to a model that is, uh, had been well-established, and that's a glaucomatous monkey model. And we worked with a lab, um, uh, a Dr. Serrell in her lab, who has uh, basically, they've, it's my understanding, they've studied every um, approved glaucoma medication since, since the mid-'80s. And so it was a, uh, a well-established animal model. And that's, um, and that's why we moved to the monkeys, was to see if indeed the latanoprost eluded from the contact lens would reduce intraocular pressure. Can I get you to describe the, the design of this study? In its clinical study design, you can say it was a, it was a crossover design. Uh, basically, we use uh, four glaucomatous monkeys, and the monkeys initially had their intraocular pressure measured every hour for eight hours during a business day on two consecutive days to establish its baseline pressure at those particular hours. Um, and then they were basically administered three different therapies. The first therapy they administered was a low-dose um, latanoprost looting contact lens. Then after a washout period of three weeks, we rechecked the baseline on two consecutive days at um, basically every hour for, I think it was seven to eight hours. And then we applied latanoprost drops for five consecutive days. And then after another three-week washout period, we again checked the baseline intraocular pressure in the same manner, and then we applied a high-dose contact lens. Um, the baseline pressures were all the same. So even after um, withdrawing the therapy, the pressure came back to its baseline before each of the therapies. And um, the results were that the contact lens that we initially studied was, was what we now call low-dose lens, reduced intraocular pressure about the same as the latanoprost drops. Um, surprisingly, the high-dose lens 
reduce intraocular pressure, um, almost double that of latanoprost drops. And so that was a surprise. And another thing I should mention is that the level of intraocular pressure reduction was very consistent. We designed the study so that we would study the pressure at different times a day. So initially on day three, we studied the pressure in the morning. And then on day five, we studied the pressure, we measured the pressure in the afternoon. And then on day eight, we started again in the morning. And we took the contact lens off at that point and we measured it hourly for, um, for I think it was seven hours um, so that we could compare it to the drops after that were also measured in a diagonal fashion. To be clear, there, there, there was no control group um, using uh, non-medicated contact lenses? No, there wasn't. That was uh, that's something that we didn't do. Um, uh, how 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 did you? I know this is this is not relevant to the study, but I I I can't not ask this. How how did you machine contact lenses for monkeys, and how did you get the monkeys to keep the the contact lenses in? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so that was um, that was a project that I worked very closely with with our optometry uh, colleagues, and what we did is we reviewed um, the literature, and there were some papers from the 70s and I think early 80s that discussed the size of the cornea on um, the Thetamogalus monkeys. So based on those descriptions of the size of the cornea. We then created a contact lens trial set, and the contact lens trial set had three different sets of diameters and three different base curves. The fitting is fairly forgiving with most soft contact lenses, meaning that you can be off by a couple, you could be off by a millimeter the dia- for the diameter and the contact lens will still fit on the eye, or the base curve can be off by you know, more than 0.2 millimeters and the contact lens will still fit on the eye just fine. So there's a lot of flexibility, and so much so that a lot of the contact lenses only have one base curve and one diameter, such as many toric lenses. However, with monkeys, it's not so easy. Compared to other animals, monkeys have fingers, and they have uh, opposing thumb and forefinger and can remove contact lenses if they so desire. Um, So the contact lenses have to fit perfectly, and they have to um, stay on the eye which retention can be a a challenge. So we initially fit the animals with these contact lenses and very quickly it became apparent that um, if the lens was too flat or or too curved, it would not fit on the eye. It just fell off. In comparison to humans, the monkey cornea is much more steep. I think because the eye is shorter, it has to be steeper so that it focuses the light to the retina. In addition, there is not much of a fornix. For a human, you have, I'm not sure what it is exactly, but five, six millimeters below and above the the corneal limbus, in which case you have plenty of space to fit a contact lens. For the monkeys, the lid, the fornix basically ends about a millimeter, millimeter and a half beyond the limbus. It's not very deep. So there's not much space there to work with. So there was really only, of the nine contact lenses, only one stayed in, surprisingly. And, and that was an initial study. We did a pilot study, and we, we only one stayed in for the week. And initially, we had uh, three lenses that could be fit overnight, but um, uh, two of the others came out over the, over the three days. 
Now, you asked about the pressure with a um, consequence that doesn't have the drug, pomerfilm. We didn't really include this. Uh, we didn't uh, include this as a study group in our paper, or, or, or we didn't emphasize this point. But the one contact lens that did stay in the eye did not change the intraocular pressure in that animal. But because it was just an N of one, I didn't. You know, we didn't feel that was um, enough to, to 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 include that in the analysis. Yeah, really, really neat stuff, though. I mean, I can't. Uh, I mean, I can't picture what it's like putting one of these contact lenses uh, in in a monkey. We'll end today's podcast here and pick up where we left off next time. Joseph Cialino is the Henry Freeman Allen Cornea Scholar at the Scapin's Eye Research Institute of the Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary in Boston, Massachusetts. Daniel Kahane is Professor of Anesthesia at the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts. Their paper, Latanoprost Eluding Contact Lenses in Glaucomatous Monkeys, appears in the October 2016 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Cialino, Dr. Kohane, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.